And this is Hitting the Mark, and this is Jeffrey Mark, along with my compadres, Ray Carr and Cindy Verbalin. And we're talking about Steve Allen. Steve Allen, and uh, let's start about 1960, Jeffrey. Um, tell me about how that transition came from the 50s to the 60s and later. Steve's career was on fire because of the variety show, because of Tonight Show. Steve began writing books. Uh, Steve's written something like 17 books in his life. Many of them were hits. Uh, he wrote for Broadway. So he was constantly a true, true Renaissance man. He was writing books. He was writing songs. He was writing plays. He was hosting some version of a talk show or other all through the 1960s. His NBC variety show ended. It moved to ABC for a year. That ended. He began doing a uh, talk show for the Westinghouse Broadcasting Group, syndicated around the country for several years. Gary Moore, the host of I've Got a Secret, retired for a while. Steve took over every week doing I've Got a Secret. He'd fly to New York. They'd do one show live and then do one videotaped. So he only had to come in once every two weeks. He was a really, really busy man. And he was appearing in films. And he was making commercials. And he was giving lectures. And he was playing music and doing concerts and appearing in nightclubs constantly. The man ended up buying a building in Van Nuys, California. He had, when I knew him, which would be from a, from a 90s forward, uh, four or five secretaries, each one specific to one area of his career. And he had a little mini tape recorders in his pockets. And every time he got a funny thought or an interesting thought, he'd pull out the thing and go, uh, from a book about theology, uh, the Jews have paid a terrible price for their superiority. Click. And he put it back in their pocket. And that quote did end up in a book. That's how he worked. He never sat down and typed. He never sat down and wrote. Everything was dictated. And he was dictating con constantly that he needed this huge staff of people to keep up with him. Um, and his television work just continued it seemed like just when you thought, all right, he's getting older, the career is winding down, there'd be another Steve Allen show. Some network would hire him to produce specials or do a summer series for them or another talk show. PBS hired him. Uh, he did that wonderful, this, this deserves, deserves a minute or two of our time, a PBS series called Meeting of the Minds. The idea that he would bring together the greatest figures of history to sit down at a table and discuss important topics together. People who lived hundreds and sometimes thousands of years apart, but they sat down together. A brilliant idea to have Cleopatra and Shanghai Shek and, and, and George Washington all sitting down together to discuss how do you put a nation together? Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, probably the only negative about the show was that whoever was the woman was played by Jane. But Jane was a very talented actress. Uh, people, people don't give her enough credit that she really was a talent. But after a while, maybe he should have brought in another woman once in a while. 
But these things read on PBS, and I have autographed copies of the scripts, of the original scripts from Steve. And that ended up being on VHS tape and then DVD. Uh, Steve was working literally up, up to his death. All through the 90s, he was working, working, working on something. He had, a, he had a, a very unusual working schedule, and I'm afraid I have adapted it or adopted it. He slept very late every day. Steve needed about 11 hours of sleep a night to function. Wow. He was not one of those people who could you know, take a power nap like Bob Hope. You know, let me snap. I'll, I'll sleep for 45 minutes, and I'll be up and raring to go. Steve needed to sleep. So do I. So he didn't get into the office till like noon, 1 o'clock. And then he was able to work so concentratedly get so much accomplished between one o'clock and six. And then he could have an evening with his family or go to a studio and record something or do a television show. But I don't think the man ever was not working. People have careers, everyone's, that are mountain high and valley low. I don't think Steve Allen ever fell out of fashion. He always had something so interesting to say about whatever was going on in the world, and also something funny to say that people wanted to hear it. Yeah, he didn't seem like he had any problem with substance abuse. I think that. Oh, not at all. So that in fact, his son did. One of his children did, and uh, he wrote a book about that. One of his children joined a cult, and he rescued him from the cult, and he wrote a book about that. Steve wrote a book called Dumpth, D-U-M-B-T-H, about the dumbing down of America and what would happen to us if, as a society, the United States became stupid. And he predicted, oh, two-thirds of what's been going on in this country lately. Yeah, but he read it now. He, 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 yeah, if you get your hands on a copy of Dumpth, I highly recommend it. Because you'll go like, my goodness, did he know? How did, how did you, I, I'm... I'm making gestures of going through a book for those of you, obviously you can't see me, but every page, like, I can't believe he foresaw all of this, but he foresaw this is what happens when the electorate is not given information, is not educated, is not even told it's their right as citizens to do this and do that. It's a very important book, and I, I'm really glad he wrote it. So, like I said, a Renaissance man, to, to be hysterically funny, to write very serious books about every kind of sex, theology, religion, politics. He had opinions about everything. Somebody once uh, joked with him, have you ever had an unpublished thought? But every thought he had was brilliant. I would sit for hours talking with him. And happily, luckily, he thought I was intelligent and funny and wanted to hear what I had to say too. I was very blessed that he felt that way about me. But to be really honest, two-thirds of the time he was doing all the talking. Uh, and everything he said was fascinating. The man was never boring. Maybe that's why he lasted so long in show business. Did he have any regrets? He regretted his first marriage did not work. He regretted having to be divorced. He, he, was, he was very much a family man and believed in the family. And I think he regretted that that was a personal failure for him. I think he regretted that Jane wasn't a bigger star than she was. 
he seemed to have an antipathy towards his sister-in-law, Audrey. When her name came up, he, he had nothing nice to say about her. He really? thought that Audrey was uh, hanging on to the tailcoats of her sister, that Audrey was claiming things that Jane did, that Audrey had been a homewrecker because she stole Ethel Merman's husband away from her. And Ethel Merman was a very close friend of the Allens, and they did not appreciate that. Uh, so I think he regretted that relationship. I don't think he had regrets because mostly we regret the things we don't do. Mm -hmm. I don't know that Steve ever got around to not doing something. I know that's a, a kind of a negative, double negative talk that way, not getting around to something. He just, he, 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 he had the confidence, the backbone, and the ambition, because he was a very ambitious man, to try everything and see where it fit. And, and most of the time, he fit. He could make his talent fit into whatever it was being put in front of him. And I hope on some level I'm the same way, which is why I wear so many different hats in show business. Jeffrey, what about rock and roll? Did Steve have a did he like it, dislike it? Was he ambivalent? Uh, he was smart about it. He understood that rock and roll was an outgrowth of jazz and rhythm and blues. He understood its roots because Steve understood how things go from point A to point B. So nothing shocked him. He had Elvis on his show almost immediately after Elvis became famous. Right. Um, he did not like music where you could not understand the lyrics. They liked a lot of the tunes that were presented. They weren't his kind of music. They weren't to his taste any more than perhaps classical music was to his taste. But he could listen to pop music and, under, and, and hear, oh, that's a good melody, or that's good harmony, or that guitar player is very talented. I guess I'm kind of the same way. The only music I, I, I just don't like is, is rap and hip hop. Rap and bingo. Because to mm -hmm. me, it's not music. And Steve didn't like it either. Steve thought that rap, he didn't live really into the hip hop era, but he felt that rap was just vulgar poetry. Mm -hmm. That, that, uh, interestingly, rap. interestingly, for a man who was very liberal in his thoughts, he had very conservative thoughts about vulgarity and um, how one speaks in front of children, that kind of thing. He, he regretted that, tele oh, another answer to your question. He felt that television had retrogressed, that it had so much promise for presenting the best in the world as far as entertainment went, and yet, it too often was being filled by the lowest common denominator. And uh, at one point he said to me, television now is being made by Bulgarians to be watched by barbarians. Hmm. He really felt that television as a medium had lost its way. He might feel differently today with the various platforms because there's, there's wonderful stuff being produced today that's intelligent and well-made and well-produced and well-acted. There's lots of things to watch. They're just usually not on 
the, the four major networks anymore. Right. They're, they're done for Amazon Prime or Netflix or HBO, mm -hmm. uh, but they're out there and they're findable. If you're looking for good quality entertainment, it's there. I think Steve would have liked that a lot. And I think he likes or would like that we talk about him, that his programs are still available on platforms, that his CDs still sell. Somewhere right now, someone is singing This Can Be The Start of Something Big. Because mm -hmm. it was a great song. Yeah. The show is hitting the mark. I'm Cindy Verbalin with Ray Carr, and we are talking to Jeffrey Mark about Steve Allen. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Hitting the Mark. My name is Ray Carr, along with Cindy Verbalin, and we're talking about Steve Allen with Jeffrey Mark. If Steve were alive today, um, he'd, be, he'd be 99 years old, I believe. Oh. Um, he was born in 1921. What do you think he'd be doing if he were still in good health at this age? I mean, do you think he'd be doing anything different or would he have, um, you know, maybe unearthed a new project? I think he would have written a book about the last four years of our politics in this country. Oh, I'd love to have read it. Uh, and the world. I think he would have written seriously about where we're headed as a civilization. I think he would have written some more music. He would have made an album with Jeffrey Mark because that was a handshake already done, yeah. as was a, a, a really wonderful documentary about his work. That was, this, that was the other thing we agreed to that day, that he was going to open up all of his archives to me and, and appear on camera and let me do a documentary about his work. Uh, that would have gotten made. Probably there would have been a biopic done of him. Uh, I don't know if he'd be any better remembered if he were still alive, but he'd have a lot to say about what's going on. You, 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 one must, if one has a brain, to have perspective on any time that we're talking about. You have to look at the past and see where this came from, connect the dots to understand it. Almost nothing in life comes out of whole cloth. Politics, religion, the arts, evolve one into another. We all take from what came, we add our fingerprints onto it, we pass it along to the next generation. And uh, I, I think Steve would have been doing a lot of that kind of work, connecting the dots for us. I don't know that he would have been accepted as a comedian. Steve did not like using dirty words. He didn't like even hearing the word ass. It, it bothered his ears. Don't say that word in front of me. I'm not saying he didn't know dirty words. He did. I'm not saying that he was lost at a Friars Club roast where it's all filth. <laughs> he, he knew what to do. I have recordings of them. He, he, was, he, he knew how to use them. But in daily life, he just felt that being vulgar was being stupid. There's nine million words that are better than that four-letter one. Use one of those. And uh, again, taking his example, I've never worked blue. I've never done humor. I've never done stand-up or hosting things where I went into vulgarities. And I've gotten chastised for it. Ruta Lee yelled at me once. No, my. Jeffrey, you're over 50. For heaven's sakes, use the word fuck once. Well, folks, just now was the first time I've ever done that outside of my own home. Uh, hmm. There are so many funnier words than that. And I like to use the funnier words. Anyone can say that word and get a laugh. Right. 
Yeah. I want to use words only I can use and get a laugh with. Right. Jeffrey, what is the one, what is the one rule of thumb that you use when you do uh, comedy that uh, Steve uh, instilled in you the most? Listen. My comedy is very specific. I don't really have an act. Oh, I have an act. I can do rehearsed, written stand-up. If someone says, Jeff, we need you to fill 15 minutes, I've got 15 minutes of jokes. But more often than not, my humor is written on my feet. I write for myself reactive humor. Now, when I write jokes for other comedians, I write to their style and how they do things. But for me, I observe and listen and then react. And usually it's my reactions that get the biggest laughs. Something I also learned from Jack Carter, who used to go into his audiences before his shows and interview the audience. And he'd find out, all right, their education level is about here and they all come from New York or they all come from Minneapolis or they're all gay or they're all Christian. And he would tailor his jokes towards the audience. And, and I kind of get a feel for what the audience likes and tries, I try to give them that. Um, but usually my biggest laughs come from something that's in the moment. I was hosting the Palm Springs International Comedy Festival a couple of years ago. And we were having young stand-ups. We had like 50 of them. And I had to write material every six minutes in between them. This one person would not get off the stage. We, yeah. we, we, we turned off their light. We turned off their microphone. <laughs> 20 minutes, this is going on and on and on and on and on. Finally, I pulled them off and they turned the light and the mic back on. I've got to say something. So I said, well, obviously that person's not going to win. Which got a small laugh of like, okay, we're gonna be okay here now. I said, but the upside is I had enough time to have sex with two hotel workers. <laughs> Now, I would not have thought of that, except as I was walking through the audience to pull them off, the guy who was working the spotlight pinched my behind. And it gave me the spark, well, what if I had actually had sex while this person was wasting our time? You know, sorry I wasted your time, but I had sex, so good for everybody. Yeah, good for everybody. That's, that's the kind of humor I do. Uh, well... Jeffrey, I think on that note, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, E flat. Yeah, E flat. Jeffrey Mark, Ray Carr, Cindy Verbalin. This is called Hitting the Mark. Folks, I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you on our next episode. Be safe. Any parting words? Tune in next time, and you're going to hear some really inside stories about the first lady of Broadway, Ethel Mermaid.